Thank you, Pastor Josh, and uh, we are so glad each and every one of you guys are here this morning. If you're joining us online, a special welcome to you, and uh, it really is an honor and a privilege for me to be able to share with you today. Um, every time I stand up here, I'm humbled uh, that I get to do this and get to be a part of this incredible church, so thank you so much for being here today. And whenever I say the word appetite, what do you guys automatically think of? Food, exactly. And I don't know if any of you in here love food, but I, I love food. Um, anytime we go to Asia King Buffet, I feel like it's a competition between me um, and the restaurant to see if I can out-eat um, the $12 plate that, that they charge me every time that I go there. And so I'll have a number of trips to the sushi bar. Um, anytime I go, I, I just love food. I enjoy eating. Um, I'm not really a cook. I'll let you cook, and then I'll enjoy the benefits of your cooking. But, but I really do. I love eating. And we don't really let our kids eat a lot of sweets. Um, or soda or things like that. But uh, whenever we do, we always go to Maddie's Donuts. Um, it's right here across the street, and Maddie always takes care of us. And I went in there this morning, and she was smiling for me as usual. And the thing that I love about Maddie's Donuts is those little sausage rolls. Um, I don't know if you guys are the sweet type of person. My wife, she, she loves sweets. She's taught our kids how to eat sweets. Um, and she's slowly pulling me to the dark side. But I'm the salty, savory type of person. So I love these little sausage rolls, especially the jalapeno ones. Um, the ones with the jalapenos inside. I mean, they are just incredible. And I don't know if you've ever had these. If you haven't, let's, let's give Maddie some business. Um, and you guys can stop by there next week. And then the other thing is, whenever I do get a donut, I always get the blueberry donuts. And, man, these smell good. Mmm. And let me swallow that sausage. The, the, reason, the reason that I get the blueberry ones is I think somehow in my mind, because it's blueberry, I think there's fruit in there somehow. And so I'm eating healthy. I'm actually doing something good for my body whenever I have a blueberry donut. So mm, those are incredible, incredible, incredible donuts. Now, isn't it true, and I have to wash this down with some water. So excuse me for one second. But, but isn't it true our appetites, I mean, you might not even be hungry right now. Maybe you weren't even hungry whenever you walked in here. But now, all of a sudden, since I've been talking about food, maybe your stomach is starting to make those weird noises. And, and we always have to say, it's my stomach. I'm sorry. I'm hungry. Um, to excuse ourselves, right? But it, isn't it true? Our appetites, they, they have incredible power in our lives. And, and the thing about appetites is they... They have a limited vocabulary. I don't know if you've noticed that. And, and one of the words that our appetites scream more than anything else is the word more. It, isn't it true? It, they, our appetites always are asking for more. That, that's why the commercials market the way that they do. That's why they advertise the way that they do. That's why you can get one, buy one, get one free. Why? Because they know that your appetites are always going to say more, that your appetites are always calling, are always crying out for more. Can you just say that word with me? Can you say more with me? 
more. Because that's what our appetites do in our lives. They always want more. And I know it's hard to believe, but we have appetites beyond just food. I mean, especially for men. I mean, men, they, they have an appetite for food. Um, they have an appetite for sex. They have an appetite for sleep. And I know there's more than that. <laughs> but food, sex, sleep, what else? Sports and sex and food. And, and if men probably had to just choose one, I'll let you guys fill in the blank. But, but we, we have appetites. All of us have appetites even beyond food. Maybe there's some of you in here, you, you have an appetite for progress. You, you might not have been able to know how to verbalize that before, but, but you want things to progress. You, you want things to move forward in your business, in your company, in your organization. You want things to continue to move forward. You have, you have an appetite for progress. Some of you, you, you have an appetite for respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-T, find out what it means to me, right? R-E-S-P, you, you have an appetite for respect, and maybe some of the tension in your relationships right now, maybe some of the tension at home, maybe some of the tension at the workplace is because you don't feel, you don't feel respected. For, for some of you, you have an appetite to win. You, you, you're very, very competitive. Now, you would never say that out loud, but you trip your kids when they're racing to the shopping cart at the, at the store because you have to be the first one to the shopping cart. Why? Because you have this desire to win. It doesn't matter how small the game is. It doesn't matter how big the game is. You want to win no matter what. Some of you are competitive. Some of you are elbowing the person next to you right now because you know what I'm talking about. Some of you, did, did you know all of us, we, we have an appetite to be loved, that, that there's something inside of us that we desire, we long for, we want to be fully known and we want to be loved. And this is a big one in our culture right now. Did you know you have an appetite to be recognized or to be famous? That's why you always are checking your social media to see how many people liked your photo or liked your video or how many followers you have because there's a desire in us. We want to be recognized. We want people to look at us. And, and there's another one that kind of, kind of rolls right into this. It's, it's envied. None of us would admit that, but we want to be envied, especially men. We want, we want people to look at what we drive to, what, who we're married to, uh, what our kids are doing, where we live. We want people to look at us and say, I wish I was more like there's a desire there's this appetite inside of us and then the obvious one is our stuff I mean ladies how many pairs of shoes do you really have to have I still don't get this isn't there but there's an appetite that there's an appetite for more stuff whether it's at dirt cheap or at Marshall's or at TJ Maxx I mean there's this desire in us because we we feel like we have an appetite I mean we need more clothes we need more cars we need more stuff we need the latest the greatest the newest the shiniest the updated version the, the super size we we want more more stuff I, isn't it true we our appetites are incredibly incredibly powerful powerful things in our lives and if we're not careful that, that they can they can control our lives and something I want to leave you with this morning and I I hope you understand it and first of all it, the, the point of this message isn't you need to go home and get rid of all of your stuff ladies you need to go home and get rid of all of your shoes that's not what I'm saying so take a breath for a second because your appetites aren't going anywhere D did you know actually God created our appetites 
that that's God's thumbprint on your life. And sin distorted them. Sin perverted them. Sin twisted them. Sin broke them. But, but actually your appetites are a picture of God in your life. That, that desire inside of you for progress to move forward, that, that's from God. That desire inside of your heart to be fully known and fully loved and accepted, that, that's from God. Those are God's thumbprints on our lives. And if you don't hear anything else that I say, if you fall asleep this morning, if your internet goes out this morning, your appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. Did you know that? Your appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. That, that, I mean, you know that's true with food. I mean, you can eat meals to where you have to wear your sweatpants or you have to undo your top button because you're so full and you're like, I never want to see food again. I never want to take another bite of food. But then the dessert tray comes. Oh, well, it would be rude for me not to have a piece of pecan pie. I mean, I, I've got to, I, I want to be a, a gracious person to, to the people who, isn't it true? Our appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. I mean, you know people. Maybe your kids are facing this right now. Maybe your parents face this. That that someone's life decisions, they went sideways. They went off the track because they couldn't control their appetites. And, And they thought in their mind, if I could just make this much money, if I could just get in this position, if I just dated this person, then I would finally, finally be satisfied. But the truth of the matter is your appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. And the last thing about our appetites, they, they never say wait. They always say now. Your, op- your appetites always say, you have to have it right now. Don't, don't put it on layaway. Don't wait six months. Don't come back to the dealership next week. We have to have it right now. Our appetites are always saying now, never later. So God created them, but sin distorted them. Your appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. And they always say now, never later and the bible has a lot to say about our appetites and i I just want us to look at this story really quick in the old testament i i love the bible pastor was just talking about reading the old testament we're going to be in the old testament we're going to be in the book of genesis for those of you who are new to church or you haven't been to church in a long time genesis is the very first book of the bible so if you have a bible you can turn there genesis chapter 29 uh, or 25 and verse 29 that's where we're going to be looking this morning if you don't have a bible it'll be up on the screen but but there are are these two these two brothers by the name of Esau and Jacob and they're twins now for those of you who don't know I actually am married to a twin Linnell has a twin sister named Janelle <laughs> okay so if if you've ever said hi to Linnell and she's walked the other way it's not because she's mad at you Okay, it's because that was probably her twin sister, and she has no idea who you are. Um, And I only got them confused on our first date, and that was the first and last time that I got them confused. But... But Esau and Jacob, they're twins, and Esau, he's the man's man, okay? He's the hunter, he's the warrior, he's the one who scares his mom to death, and his dad is proud of him. I mean, this is, he's the man's man. He's not afraid of anything, but Jacob, Jacob likes to cook. 
Jacob likes to stay in the tent. Jacob doesn't like to get sweaty. Jacob is completely different. And parents, haven't you noticed this? You can have two kids, raise them the exact same way, and they are completely different. (laughs) And so Esau's the warrior, and Jacob's the kid who likes to stay at home. And so Around this story, before we jump into it this morning, I I have to set this up. There was this thing, and there's really not a parallel in today's culture, called the birthright. And and the birthright is a very big deal, um, especially in the ancient Middle East. It was a very big deal. So the birthright, anytime there was a birthright, the firstborn son, he would get a double portion of the inheritance. And all the firstborn said, amen, okay? So when your mom and your dad passed away, the kids would get their inheritance. All the other siblings would get their inheritance. But the oldest one would get a double portion. So they would have financial security, whether it was a lot or little. They would get a double portion of what all the other siblings got. The second thing about the birthright was that you, you received authority, power. In your tribe, in your family, it wasn't a democracy. It was hey, there's one person who gets to make the final decision. And after dad is gone, if you're the oldest, whenever your tribe comes, whenever your family comes, whenever your siblings come to talk to, talk to you, and there's a dispute, you have the final word. So you have financial security. You have authority and you have power. And the last thing was that somehow mysteriously that they believed that God's hand rested differently on the firstborn. That the firstborn received God's favor. The firstborn received God's blessing. The firstborn received something special from God. And so the birthright is a very, very big deal. And that leads us into our story here this morning in Genesis chapter 25 and beginning at verse number 29. And it says this, Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, because he loved to cook, Esau came in from the open country famished, and he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Let me have some of that red stew. I am famished. So Esau, we don't know if he's been hunting for a few hours or if he's been hunting for a few days, but he comes in and he is hungry. Now for all of you older siblings, all of the oldest kids, whether you're a a son or a daughter, many times in our lives, we feel like our younger brothers or sisters are kind of like gnats, right? I I mean, get away from me. No, you can't use that. Get out of my room. Give me that back. No, don't touch me, mom. She crossed my line. I mean, that whole thing, there's this rivalry between siblings. In fact, I brought a picture of my brother and I. We're very close. Um, This was, I I think they're going to put it up. Can you guys put that up there? That's me and my brother. Oh, yes. It's just the two of us. And uh, that was in our high school up in New Jersey, and we're hanging out, and I'm probably squeezing his shoulder saying, get away from me now, (laughs) little brother, okay? But there's always this rivalry, and very rarely, and, and older brothers, older sisters, you know this, very rarely does the older sibling need something from the younger sibling. I mean, very rarely do I need to ask Aaron for something, but whenever I would, Aaron would hit the pause button and he would let that moment become pregnant with anticipation. Because Aaron knew, wait a second, Michael needs my help. Michael needs something from me and very rarely does Michael ask me for anything. So Aaron, being the smart brother that he was, he would say, okay, 
can I borrow your car? No. <laughs> okay, can I wear your Jordans? No. All right, will you acknowledge that you have a brother in public? No. Okay, can, Michael, can I get a chest bump? I mean, give me something. To, to, I mean, I'm your little brother. Come on. But isn't it true, older brothers and sisters, we very rarely need something from our younger siblings. So when we do, and what we're getting ready to see here with Jacob and Esau, when we do, our younger siblings take advantage of that moment. And listen to what Jacob says. He says, Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Okay, hold on. That's like me saying, hey, Aaron, can I have your Chipotle burrito? And he's like, yeah, give me your car. What? <laughs> I know it's a 1982 Subaru, but I'm not giving you my car for your Chipotle burrito. It, it doesn't even make sense. And, and what Jacob is saying is this, hey, you want some stew? You want this soup? I want to be more powerful than you. I want to be financially off better than you, and I want God's blessing in my life instead of you. Sell me your birthright. And the question for me this morning is, who in their right mind? I have a spoon in here somewhere. I thought I did. Who in their right mind would sell their financial security, authority and power, and the blessing of God for a bowl of beans? Who in their right mind would make that kind of trade? And the answer to the question is, is you would. I would. If it's the right bowl of stew. Isn't it true when you look back at your life, when, when you look back at some of the decisions you made in your sorority, in your fraternity, when you look back at some of the decisions you made when you were dating, when you look back at some of the financial decisions that you've made and the shortcuts that you've taken, who in their right mind would give up financial security, authority and power, and the blessing of God for a bowl of stew? And, and the truth is, <laughs> church, if it's the right bowl of stew, you would give it up. You would trade it. You have traded it. I've traded it. Because in that moment, your appetites are so powerful. My appetites are so powerful. In that moment, this is all we can see. This is, we're blinded by our appetites. And so many times, parents, especially parents, you know this, teenagers, I know you don't like to hear this, but, but parents, you can see some of the decisions that your teenagers are making. And you know because you've lived longer than they have. You know where those decisions are going to lead them. And you're trying to warn them, that's just a bowl of beans. It's so temporary. It's so monetary. But in the moment, that's all that they can see. And, and listen to how Esau goes on. Listen to what he says. I, I love this. How God's words work. He says, look, <laughs> I'm about to die. Hold on, Esau, time out. You're about to die? I, 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 just, I do not like it when my kids are like, Dad, I'm starving. No, you're not starving. You're hungry because you haven't eaten in three hours, but you're not starving. 
And Esau's like, I'm about to die. No, Esau, you just walked in here. Are you hungry? Yes. Are you tired? Absolutely. Are you maybe a little bit faint? Okay, we'll give you that. But you're about to die, Esau? No, you're not about to die. Listen to what he says. What good is the birthright to me? Esau, you're, you're so confused. Your appetites have so confused you that you're not thinking clearly. And here's what scientists and psychologists have learned over the last hundred years. These are people that are way smarter than me. Way smarter than me. There, there's this thing called impact bias. Impact bias is this. Impact bias is when you think that a decision that you're getting ready to make is going to make you feel like this. If I, and you guys have heard of this, buyer's remorse. Have you ever had buyer's remorse? You get home and you decide, man, what in the world? Why did I do that, right? Infomercials get me all the time. I'm like, yes, I need that vacuum that can vacuum up that bowling ball. Of course I do. Only for $19.95 plus shipping and handling? Absolutely. Here's my credit card. I, I need that, right? They get us. But impact bias is this whole idea of right there, right in the moment, you, you have this feeling that it's going to make you feel like this but in reality it makes you feel like this if you text her back it's going to make you feel like this if you go on that date it's going to make you feel if you eat this it's going to make you feel like if you purchase this it's going to make you feel like this but impact bias they've studied it they know buyer's remorse when you come down off of that if you drink this if you take this pill it's going to make you feel like this we all know the world calls it the walk of shame that if you do this then it's going to make you feel like this. But no, the truth of the matter is the next morning when you wake up, the next day when your mind's clear, you're thinking, what in the world did I just do? That's impact bias. You, that's, in that moment, you think it's going to make me feel this way. And so you give in to that because of that feeling. It actually, your brain releases a chemical into your body to make you feel that way. That's impact bias. The other thing that they've discovered, it's called um, focalism or it's called anchoring. And, and guys, may, maybe you've experienced this, I do. Remember that girl that you had a crush on in the, your freshman year in high school and she sat three rows up and over to the right and you know exactly what she was wearing and you knew where her locker was, which was a little bit creepy, okay? But, but you knew exactly where she was and, and you're in, you're in your classroom and you're daydreaming and your mind starts to drift, right? And, and, and you're starting to think to yourself, now I've had the time of my life and I've never felt like this before, right? And, and her, her hair is it's blowing back in, the, and there's not even any wind in your high school, okay? But her hair is flowing backwards, and she's staring at you, and, and you, you're longing, and just, you know she's coming right towards you. But your teacher starts clapping and snapping, hey, Michael, McFly, come back, right? Come back to reality. That, that's called focalism. That's called anchoring. Everything else blurs out, and all you can see is that one person, that one thing, and you're focused on it. You're, you're completely and totally consumed by that one thing. And, and, and when you learn that, it, it starts to make sense. No wonder Esau, no wonder Esau is getting ready to give up power, financial security, 
and God's blessing in his life all for, for a bowl of beans, a bowl of stew? Uh, are you kidding me? But, but listen to how it goes on. Listen, listen to what Jacob says. He says this, but Jacob said, swear to me first. And so he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright <laughs> to Jacob. And church, this is where I wish I could go back in time. This is where I wish I could go into the quantum realm with Captain America and Iron Man. Okay, this is, this is where I wish I could jump back there and, and that I could go back to where Esau was at. And I would say, Esau, live long and prosper. I'm from the future, okay? Nanu, nanu, all right? So here we go. I, I live long, but Esau, I know this is weird, I know, but before you shake hands with Jacob, before you take that bowl of stew, Esau, let me tell you something really quick, okay? Esau, years from now, you, you're going to have 12 sons, and your 12 sons are going to have kids, and, and actually you guys are all going to move down to Egypt together, and you're going to become this incredible nation, and Pharaoh's going to get scared of you. And he's actually going to put your family into slavery for 400 years, but in that 400 years, you're going to become this mighty nation, Esau. And Esau, God's going to raise up a deliverer, and his name's going to be Moses. I know it sounds weird, and I don't have time to explain it all, but when God reveals himself to Moses... Listen to how he introduces himself to Moses, Esau. He's going to say, Moses, I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Esau. But Esau, if you take that bowl of stew, he's not going to include your name, Esau. And Esau, even beyond that, hundreds and thousands of years later, God isn't just going to deliver a nation out of slavery. God's going to actually deliver humanity out of the slavery of sin. And he's going to send his one and only son, and his name's going to be Jesus. And I don't have time to tell you all of the story. And he's going to do these incredible things, Esau, and heal people, raise people from the dead. He's going to be fulfilling all of these prophecies, and he's actually going to die on a cross. He's going to take the place of every human being. The punishment that everyone else deserves is going to be on this guy named Jesus and one of his followers he's a disciple he's a tax collector oh I'm sorry Esau I know you don't know what taxes are yet but it's a big deal in the future okay but he's going to be a tax collector and Matthew's going to write this book and in his book called Matthew it's going to be a, a New York bestseller I mean this book is going to sell more books than in ever in any other book in the entire world and it's going to be in every language in the entire world Esau and listen when Matthew writes his story when Matthew writes this book that everyone on the planet is at some point probably going to read Matthew introduces Jesus like this and Abraham had Isaac and Isaac had Esau and Esau you're going to be in the very first sentence of Matthew's gospel and Esau if you take this bowl of stew if you take this bowl of beans if you allow your appetite to consume you in this moment Esau your destiny your future is going to be totally changed, Esau, because no longer will it be known as Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. In fact, it's going to be your little brother, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Esau, can I tell you something? It would be better if you died from starving than if you took that bowl of beans. But unfortunately, church, I, I wasn't there to warn Esau. And I haven't figured out the quantum realm yet, so, uh, so I haven't been able to go back and warn him. But listen to me, church, listen. Just for a second, if you've been playing on your phones, young people, young adults, listen just for a moment. 
I won't be there either whenever you're faced with the decision. Do I give in to my appetite? Or do I actually fulfill the purpose that God has destined me for? Uh, church, I, I wish, I, I wish, I wish it, it breaks my heart as a pastor. When you come to my office, when we sit down and you're broken and you're weeping because you've allowed your appetites to control you. I, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe you can't put down the bottle. Maybe you can't stop taking the pills. I, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's an affair. And she's married and you're married, but you're, you think, you know what, you get this excitement, you get this adrenaline rush, and you, you think it's going to taste like this, but it, it, it's actually, it's going to be here. For some of you, it, it's not a red bowl, it's a green bowl, because, because if you cut some corners and if you do some shady things, it's going to give you financial security maybe that you've always thought you wanted. And you keep chasing the dollars and you keep missing the recitals and you keep missing the baseball games and you keep working longer hours and your spouse keeps saying, when are you going to be home? But you're just, you have to just make that one more sale. If you do it, then you'll finally be able, and, and you lie to yourself because your brain is playing tricks on you because somehow you think your appetite's going to be fulfilled if you just get that one more thing. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's clicking on a website. Maybe it's, it's something, maybe it is food. Maybe that's your thing and it keeps tripping you. I don't know what it is, but, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's never about the bowl of stew. It's never about the bowl. It's always about the destiny and the plans that God has for you. And what you're exchanging it might be good, but it's not great. And it's not what God wants for you. And you know it. You know it's true. And I wish that I could be there. I pray that the Holy Spirit is whispering in the back of your mind. And maybe it's my voice. Maybe it's Pastor Dan's voice. Maybe it's Pastor Josh's voice. Maybe it's Dez's voice. I don't know. But maybe in the back of your mind. And it's telling you, don't give in to your appetites. Don't let it control you. And church, I, I, I would love for you to all do this, but if you don't, that's okay. Maybe on a sheet of paper or an envelope, maybe on your journal or even on your phone, you could write five years from now, 10 years from now, at my funeral, you could write that down. What do you want people to say about you? the people who are closest to you, your family and your friends. Because every funeral, and I could be wrong, I, I've been to dozens and dozens of funerals over my years. At every funeral I've ever been to, no one ever says, and he had this much money. And this is the car that he drove. And these are the clothes that he wore. And, and these are the houses that she had. And this is how many pairs of shoes. And this is where her purse was from. They never, ever say that, do they? No. What do they say? She was the most generous person I ever met. Every time I was around her, she made me feel and something great about the way that she made that person feel. They, they were the most humble, serving. They loved everyone. They always accepted me. They always, they always cared about me. They, there's never, it's never about the things that we chase, the things that right now we think that are important in our lives at our funeral are not the things that they talk about most of the time. 
In church, so five years from now, 10 years from now, at your funeral, what do you want your kids? Do you want your kids to be able to be honest about who you were? Do you want your grandkids to be able to be honest about who you were? Do you want people to have to try to make up something about who you were? Five years from now, 10 years from now, what do you want your marriage to look like? What do you want your relationship with your kids to look like? What do you want your relationship with your grandkids to look like? What do you want your relationship with the people who you love and the people who love you, what do you want that to look like? And is it worth it to you to sell it for a bowl of stew? Is it worth it? Because right now, and some of you, the emails sitting in your inbox your boss told you you had the weekend to think it over and to give him a final decision. Some of you, you haven't, you haven't shaken hands yet. You haven't taken the bowl, but you have the opportunity to choose. Am I going to give in to the moment or am I going to live for the eternal? Which one am I going to pick? Which one am I going to choose? And church, we have to learn how to reframe, reframe the context of the bowl of soup and learn how to refrain learn how to say no to ourselves and that's hard i know that that's hard because every time i want another bite of the donut <laughs> but we have to learn how to say no i am not going to live for my appetites i'm not going to live for my appetites i'm actually going to make a decision the future and the plans and the decisions and the destiny that God has for me is far greater than anything else that I could try to fulfill my appetite with. Church, if you'll bow your heads with me this morning, and I just want to close this in prayer, and, and the prayer is simply this. God, help me to overcome my appetites. Help me to refrain, to say no, and to reframe. In light of my past experience, in light of my present circumstance, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing for me to do? For my family, for my kids, for my marriage, for my future, for, for my finances, for my home, for, for the years ahead of me, what's the wise thing for me to do? What's the wise decision for me to make? What, what is it? What, what's the wise thing for me to do with this decision that I'm getting ready to make? And for some of you, I, I just want to ask you, and you want to be included in this prayer, and you're just saying, Pastor Michael, I, I'm facing a decision right now, or I've faced a decision, and I don't want to give in to my appetites any longer. I, I want, to, for, the, for the God of the universe, I want the Holy Spirit to help me to overcome you can put your hand right back down. Thank you, guys. The hands are already going up. Thank you so much. You can put it right back down. I, I want, I don't want to live for the temporal. I want to live for the eternal. I, I want to live, like Paul said, for me to live is Christ <laughs> and, and to die is gain. As long as there's breath in my lungs, God's purposes and his plans can be fulfilled in your life. Let me pray for you, church. God, I thank you. <laughs> I thank you for preserving this story for hundreds and thousands of years to remind us, God, we were made for more. We were made for more, more than just being controlled by our appetites, more, more than being controlled by every whim, every desire that we have. God, we were made for more. And Lord, for those who raised their hand this morning and they're facing a decision right now, 
that they have to choose. What am I going to choose? Am I going to choose something temporary or am I going to live for the purposes and plans God has destined me for? God, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you give them the wisdom and the strength to make the right decision, to make the wise decision? And God, would you let them know that your grace is sufficient to cover over every mistake, over every wrong decision, Lord, that you are still calling them to your purposes and to your plans. God, and I just speak blessing over Bethesda Church. I thank you so much for the love that has been given to me and my family for these four years. And God, I pray that you would bless Bethesda even greater in the days ahead, God that the best is yet to come. I believe that, Lord, for every family, for every single mom, every single dad, every college student, every young adult, God, every teenager, every child, Lord, would you continue to cause your face to shine upon them and give them your peace and give them your presence and go before them and behind them and around them. Lord, would you exalt your name, Jesus? Continue to exalt your name as you've done for all of these decades over Bethesda Community Church. God, I bless them today, and I thank you so much for every person. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, Bethesda. Thank you so much. We love you. Have an incredible weekend. Thank you, guys.